One of the first pieces of advice that any financial advisor will give to you, or if you take the Financial Peace University course at some point in time, then one of the first things that they will tell you is that you should have an emergency fund. You should build up at least a small amount of money, maybe three to six months salaries worth of money, or to start with, even just $1,000, to have a little fun in case something goes wrong and needs to be fixed all of a sudden. And the reason they will tell you that is because, intuitively, we know this, we've all been there, we've all been at that point in time where all of a sudden the water pump on the car goes out and needs to be replaced, or the AC unit in the house goes out and needs to be fixed when it's the middle of summer, and there needs to be a little bit of money somewhere that we can pull from to get those things done. We're not happy about it when those things happen. We're not looking forward to that occurring, but it is common sense to have a little money set aside to take care of those things because they need to be taken care of. If you're a renter in an apartment, you can just call the landlord. But the issue with the need of an emergency fund is when you're not just a renter. Whenever you are the owner, whenever you at least are the property manager, when a renter is renting, he calls maybe not the owner of the property, but at least the property manager, and the manager comes out and takes care of it. But if you own the house, then you are the manager. And you have to take care of it. You either have to hire someone or have to do it yourself or whatever the case may be. The buck stops with the manager. And in the parable today, we hear about a manager. Now, some of the older translations will call him a steward, which is a good word, a churchly word. And that's actually what we're going to talk about today, because you can really think of management or stewardship. They're synonyms. They're kind of the same thing. There is a manager who wastes some of his master's, or at least he's charged with wasting some of his master's possessions. Sometimes in the ESV, if you, or in the more modern Bible translations, if you look at the little bold title above this in Luke 16, it'll say the dishonest manager. Now, I'm not sure where they get the term dishonest from. He's never particularly called dishonest. He's charged with wasting his master's possessions, but... He's generally pretty honest about what's going on in the story. But there is this manager, and the point is the buck stops with him. He's the one who, when the AC goes out, he's the one, when the water pump goes out, has to take care of the problem. He's a real manager in charge of his master's possessions. It's true he's not the final owner. He's not the master himself. But he is the one who the buck stops with. He is the manager. And he has to give an account of his management. He has to take care of the problem. The master is not standing there over his shoulder the whole time, micromanaging everything that he does, controlling him like some sort of slave, like some sort of robot. He has a real stake in the game. In other words, we could say he has, in a sense, even though he is not the final owner, he has ownership over his master's finances. And this is very important when it comes to biblical stewardship. 
Hopefully, over the last year, as we've been going through a stewardship program, and the topic has come up here and there in the readings, and I have preached on it, hopefully I have drilled into your head the, what I consider, at least, the first principle of biblical stewardship. The first principle of biblical stewardship is recognizing the master, is recognizing that God is the creator of all, that everything ultimately belongs to him, that he is the one who gives you everything that you have. He's the one who gives you the time that you have throughout your days, the time that's on the clocks and on the calendars. He's the one who gives you your body to walk around in his creation. He's the one who gives you creation itself to walk around in. He's the one who gives you the food on your plate. He's the one who gives you the shoes on your feet. He's the one who gives you your families to love and care for, who love and care for you too. He's the one who gives you all the hairs on your head and he knows the number of them. He's the one who gives you everything, your job, your wealth, your health, everything. And when you recognize that first principle of biblical stewardship, that God is the creator, the sustainer, the giver, the owner, the master, when you recognize that, then stewardship becomes immediately a lot easier. Because then you know who you're stewarding for, and you know that these things are only gifts, You know that these things are temporary because he's preparing a much better mansion for you above than this, your earthly home, your earthly tent that we live in now. Stewardship becomes a lot easier once you realize who the master is. But back to the text for today, the manager. The second principle of biblical stewardship, and I think it's just as important to get there, We can't only recognize the first principle. We have to move on to the second principle. The second principle of biblical stewardship is this, that you're a real manager. That when the master, when God, our father in heaven, when he gifts to you all of these great and abundant gifts, he is actually giving them to you. And you are actually receiving them. And that means that you have a stake in the game. You have a real, if you will, an ownership, even though you're not the final owner. You do have a stake in the game. You have ownership in these gifts that he gives you to manage. You're the one who gets to make the decisions day in and day out of what needs to be done with all of these things that God has given us to steward. You're the one who gets to decide what you're going to do with your body, what food you're going to eat, how you're going to spend your money, what's going to be in your budget. You're the one who decides how your house is going to function. You're the one who decides what your relationship with your family is going to be. Now, God, the master, is going to give guidance to you on that. But as a Christian, as one who has the Holy Spirit in your heart, as one who has a new will by that Holy Spirit to live under Christ, you are the one who is the manager. You have a real enlivened will to make decisions and to steward. And if you think about it like thinking about how we were talking about the water pump or the AC It kind of makes sense that when God has given you these things, it is up to you to take care of them. 
It is up to you to take ownership of these things and to figure out how they need to be managed. And that's what happens in the gospel reading for today. When the manager has something go wrong with the management, when the manager has a problem, namely that his master is now accusing him of wasting his possessions, and now he is going to be out of a job, he has to take ownership of what he has been given to solve his problem. He has to do something about it. And so he thinks to himself, how am I going to manage? How am I going to steward these things that my master has given me? What am I going to do with this situation? And he starts to go through the options in his head. He says, well, I'm too ashamed to beg. That would make me a busybody. I don't want to do that. And I'm too old to go from working a white-collar job to a blue-collar job. I'm not physically able to do that. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to solve this problem by stewardship. I'm going to solve this problem by managing what my master has given me to manage. And he does that by lowering the debts of the debtors who are coming to him to pay the master so that he can ingratiate himself to them so that when he is out of the job, then they will receive him into their houses. And you can think what you want about that. This is admittedly one of the more confusing parables that Jesus tells in the scriptures. And I've read a lot of commentaries on this and everyone has their own little explanations to how this makes sense. That by the end of the story, both the master and Jesus himself are commending this manager for doing something that is seemingly deceitful by lowering the debts of uh, the people without permission. But what you can see is, one, he did have the authority to do this because he is the real manager. The buck did stop with him. These are his finances to manage. Yes, they ultimately belong to the master, but these are his finances to manage. And two, he is commended for his shrewdness. He is commended for, you could say, another word for shrewdness is cleverness, for finding a way to take care of what needed to be taken care of. And by taking care of what needed to be taken care of, you can see this, that he is not lazy. He finds a way to get the job done. He takes ownership of the problem and manages the problem as it needs to happen. He's not the guy who, whenever something goes wrong on his car, say the tires are getting bald and they need to be replaced. He's not the guy who says, I'll just put it off for a little bit and... Hope that I don't have to take any sharp turns in the rain anytime soon and hope it goes well. He's not lazy. He takes care of the problem that needs to be taken care of, and that is why he is commended. There are all sorts of other explanations out there as to why he's commended. Some commentators say that what he did was he took money out of his the rest of his own salary to pay off the rest of these debts, And so there he was able to pay his master, but then also ingratiate himself to these debtors. And that's how come he was commended for his shrewdness. There are other explanations that say that what the master really wanted to begin with was for him to be more merciful 
that he was too harsh of a manager before, and so when he does show mercy, that's when his managed master commends him. You can take or leave any of those explanations. I prefer just to stick with the clear words in Scripture. And even though this doesn't make a lot of worldly sense to us, I think the point is clear is that his shrewdness, his ability to focus on what needs to get done, done, that is what is commended. He is commended for taking ownership of what he has been given by his master to manage. He takes ownership of it. He knows that he has a stake in the game and he has the authority to make the right decisions. And so he does what he needs to do. And so you too, in your life, when you think about all of these things, all of these great and abundant gifts, which God has given you to live with and to steward and to manage day by day, My encouragement for you today is this. Take ownership. Know that you have a stake in the game. You are not put in God's creation to simply be a renter or even worse, a slave for someone to micromanage, to make all the decisions for you or a renter where you can just call the property manager and have someone else do it for you. You are put on this creation. God created you with the purpose To be a steward of the things that he gives you. And when I think about this, I like to think about this in terms of what Luther called the three estates or the three spheres of life that the Christian lives in and lives by. The three spheres of life that the Christian lives in, no matter who you are, are this and kind of in this order of from the closest to you to the furthest away from you. The family, your family around you, your church, and then society, or the community in which you live, the state in which you live. And you can think about all of your vocations, you can think about all of your callings, and then you can think about within those vocations and callings, in those spheres, all of the things that God has given you and commanded you to manage. And really, this is the whole Christian life. I like to talk about whole life stewardship when we talk about stewardship because it's not just about tithing to the church. That's part of it, and we'll get there. But stewardship, managing what God has given you in creation, that's the Christian life. And so when you think about these things, we'll start with the family. In your family, what has God given you to manage? Well, he's given you to manage a marriage if you are married. And in that marriage, he has given you certain ways and commands by which you should manage orderly and properly. If you are the husband, that means that you are to manage by being the head of the household. You are to manage by being the leader of the household. Manage by taking up your sacrificial responsibilities just like Christ took up his responsibility to sacrifice for his bride, the church. And then if you are the wife, you are to manage that same relationship differently. You are to manage that relationship by submitting to your husband as the church submits to her head, the Christ. You are to manage that relationship by following after your husband and helping him in the ways and the mission that he is on, that he has been given to do. 
And if you are parents, you are given to manage that family relationship with your children. In these ways, by raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And by providing for them for all their physical needs. There are so many ways in which we are to manage. You can start to list out all the relationships. But when you think about those relationships, when you think about the way that you manage those family relationships, know this, you are not a renter. You cannot rent out your duties as a parent to someone else. You are the one who has been given to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You cannot rent out your duties as a husband to your wife and hope that someone else will tell her where to go and what direction the marriage is going to go in. You cannot simply rent these things out. You are given to manage these things. And then we can move on, not just from the family, but also to the church. And then this is the more obvious thing that we talk about when we talk about stewardship is that One of the things you are given to manage is your church. And you do that, one of the ways, with a tithe. You do that by supporting the church in its monetary needs. And that is not just because there's some arbitrary rule out there that says you should. It's not because we're legalistic and say that, well, the Bible says you have to give 10%, so you must give 10%. That's not true in the New Testament church. But... When you recognize this is about taking ownership, when you recognize that, first of all, God is the creator who gives all good things, and then second, that you are really given in a real, actual way to manage these things, you would want to give to the church in this way. Whenever you realize that giving to the church is just like taking care of the broken water pump on your car, it makes so much more sense. Because this is our pulpit together, this is our altar together, this is our building together, and we must take care of it. We together are given to manage this. And so we must support it, we must pay for it, we must take care of it as the managers of the household of God. We must manage these things. And it's not just about the money either. Taking ownership in your church, taking a stake in your church, which God has given you to manage, is also about all sorts of other things. We like to say times, talents, treasures. You can think of it like that. You can just think of anything really that needs to happen in the church and how you have ownership in it. Think of evangelism. That it can't just be up to the pastor, it can't just be up to the evangelism committee to go and find the lost souls that need to hear the message of the gospel. It's up to all of us. Take ownership in it. Tell your neighbors, tell your friends of Christ Jesus. Tell them what you have here. Take ownership for that task. And then you can even move on to the broader society. That God has given you his creation, as he said back in Genesis 1 and 2, to have dominion over it, to subdue it, to fill the earth. He has given you his creation, even society itself, to serve for the purposes of his gospel. And so when you see injustice and when you see wickedness institutionalized in your community, in your society, you cannot 
pull what the monks tried to do in the Middle Ages and just run off into your own little Christian corner and hide and hope that the world and the community gets better by itself. No, you are called to speak the truth. You are called to be a witness for what is true. You are called, Christ says, to be a light in the world, not hidden under a bushel. No, we've known that since childhood, but a city on a hill. And so when you see the injustice, when you see the wickedness in society, whatever you can do to stand up for it, do so. Maybe that means writing your senator. Maybe that means voting for the right person on the school board. I'm not exactly sure what it looks like in your life. But stand up for what is true. Take ownership for your place in society so that we can have peace and so that the gospel can be preached with free course and not be bound. So take ownership. That's what stewardship is all about. First, recognizing your creator and then recognizing that you have a stake in the game. And finally, when you do this, do so banking on your father's mercy. There is really truly something about this parable that does not make sense. And Jesus said, whenever the disciples asked what the parables mean, Jesus said to them, it has been given to you, the believers, to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to hide it from the unbelievers. Unbelievers will not understand the parables of Jesus. This is a simple fact according to the words of Jesus. And so when we read this, of course, it doesn't make worldly sense. But what doesn't make worldly sense about this parable? It's that the master, by the end of the story, is more pleased to have had mercy on the debtors than he is to have collected money. And that is because he is a picture of our master in heaven, our father who is more pleased not to collect on our debts, but to have mercy on us who have sinned and who have had debts against him. And this is a picture of the good steward. This is a picture of the steward, Jesus Christ, who what does he do? He takes his master's mercy and he stewards it out to the people. He stewards it out to the people who have sinned against the master. Jesus Christ is the perfect steward. And how is he the perfect steward? He takes ownership. He takes ownership of your sin, of each and every one of your own sins. And he says, that sin is mine. I'm taking ownership for it. I'm making it happen. I'm going to do what needs to be done. I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for the forgiveness of your sins. He is the good steward of God's mercy. And so, whenever you take ownership, take ownership like Christ does, stewarding for his Father and stewarding according to mercy. Not stewarding and managing according to the world's principles and values. The world is never happy, though gold should fill its coffers, said the hymn. But steward according to the principles of God knowing that you can rely on his mercy above all, knowing that when you leave this earth with all these possessions that God your Father has given you as temporary gifts, you cannot put them in a U-Haul and pull them behind the hearse. But the body in that hearse 
will be at home with the Father in heaven. And so steward with that goal in mind. And that goes back to the first principle that when you recognize who you are managing for and why you are managing for the glory of God, then all of your stewardship questions will become much clearer. And when you take ownership, you will serve God and not money because you cannot serve both. And so may God grant us this kind of merciful and this kind of good and right stewardship. To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen.